Truth is, I am Iron Man. I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. What is going on? What are you doing? To infinity and beyond! This is the way. The flux capacitor! Is Star Wars the one with the little wizard boy? Chewie, we're home. Avengers! Assemble. Ah, oh, chills. Literal chills. Hello, fellow fans. To United We Fan, the podcast. United with me is my co-host, the outstanding Brian. What up, Brian? Hey, everyone. We hope our fellow fans enjoyed last week's episode where we flashed the bat signal in Gotham City and visited Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. On this week's episode, we travel the galaxy to talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Galaxy, galaxy. Anyways, but first, thank you all for uniting with us as Brian and I talk about all things fandom. United We Fan has partnered up with CKCC Radio. Check out the variety of shows they have on their channel, including their new show, The Nerd Table. Nerds! 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 You can check all of us out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now for some fan thank yous. We have some new artwork for the show. Thank you, Fidel, for our podcast teaser poster. It's greatly appreciated. You can follow him over at Fidel Santiago Art on Instagram. Thank you, Ryan, for our main podcast logo, the one you see whenever you listen to the show. You can follow him at Ryan C. Brock. In Mark and Brian's World News, I decided to watch some movies that I either hadn't seen or just haven't watched in a long time. One of them was the Vin Diesel second film in the trilogy, The Chronicles of Riddick. It is still a very enjoyable movie. The graphics are extremely dated, and at times it definitely feels like a sci-fi TV movie, but I still like it. And then I didn't mean to. I did a Tom Cruise marathon, and Brian, let me know if you've uh, got any favorites in these. Um, I started with The Firm, because I hadn't seen it before, and I was like, you know what, let's get that one checked out. And then I did Risky Business, which I had seen before, but not in a long time. And then, of course, after that, I went to the Danger Zone and uh, did some Top Gun there. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! I just forget how awesome that volleyball scene is. And I don't then... know if the volleyball scene's where I would have gone, but Top Gun is in my top 10 films ever. Ever? ever i love top gun so much fun fact for everyone brian likes the danger zone now i'm gonna uh give you a mission a mission impossible ghost protocol the fourth one i thoroughly and love the later films in that series more than the first three and ghost protocol gosh when he's climbing the side of that building one of the tallest buildings in the world still gives me anxiety but I love that film for sure. Yeah, the Mission Mission Impossible, just that entire franchise. I'm with you. I like the first one. The second yeah. one and the third one had a little had a little rough time, but they've gotten better as they go. I really really like them. Agreed. The second one, unfortunately, it just has too many dated action scenes in it. The first one, I will admit, I did recently watch that one, and I had fun with it. I think it still holds up when he like falls from the roof in that iconic shot. But and then the third one started to show you how they were changing things. I still remember it was supposed to be Ghost Protocol was Tom Cruise slightly handing off the series to Jeremy Rayner. And but the movie was just so popular. They were like, 
Tom, no, come back, buddy. We love you. And then Jeremy Renner was shown the door shortly yeah. after that. But I went the first one. They did not dream big with the technology. That's really what stands out to me. The technology is pretty dated. Agreed. Although you go back and you look at the cell phones they're using and you're like, oh, man, state-of-the-art laptop and cell phones at the time. <laughs> Brian, um, I think you uh, have some DC news for us. Yeah, there's this weekend, um, Saturday, August 22nd, DC is doing what they're calling DC Fandom, um, which is similar to what they did at Comic-Con at home, but it's going to be far more successful because why would DC help Comic-Con at home when they can have their own event? There's a few things about DC Fandom that I'm not a huge fan of. For example, the biggest one is it's only going to be available for 24 hours, and oh. I believe you're only going to be able to watch the panels when they're being shown. So oh. it kicks off on Saturday, August 22nd at 10 a.m. with a Wonder Woman 1984 panel. Um, and then that's going to be re-shown again at 6 o'clock and 2 a.m. Eastern time. I don't think you're going to be able to watch that panel throughout the day. I think you got to watch it when it's being shown. I would expect some news to come out of Wonder Woman 1984 with the existence of everything we talked about with Mulan next uh, last week, what's happening with movie theaters and all that, I think there might be some straight-to-premium video-on-demand news for Wonder Woman 1984 coming out. I hope you're wrong. Brian, you know I always root for you, but Wonder Woman 84 is a movie that is clearly meant to be seen in theaters, just like Mulan, but obviously I was overruled by Disney. <sighs> I digress. Go on. You're, I mean, I'm not rooting one way or the other. Like if, But if Wonder Woman 1984 comes on premium video on demand, I will, I will watch it. And I can't say the same for actual movie theaters. I don't, I don't think I, I feel comfortable going back yet. I'm excited in 1984 for two scenes. One where she's lassoing and riding the lightning, yeah. and then the other one where <laughs> she's explain, explaining modern art to Chris Pine. And he's looking at a trash can. She's like, oh, that's just a trash can. That's how I feel. I'm Chris Pine when I'm looking at modern art. I still don't. I don't <laughs> know what a lot of modern art is either. But they're they're doing all kinds of panels. They're doing a Snyder Cut of Justice League panel. Yay. So we're going to get some information out of that. The Black Adam panel is going to be hosted by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And yes. it's a spinoff. It's a spinoff from Shazam. We're going to see the first stuff from that movie. There's going to be an Aquaman panel, so we'll get some Aquaman sequel information. Hopefully some recasting of uh, a certain character in Aquaman. Anyways, go ahead. But the, the panel that I'm most excited about is the Suicide Squad panel. Yes. There's, there's nothing more disappointing than that original Suicide Squad movie. I did not like it at all. But Suicide Squad, and tying in with our episode this week, Mark, is they hired director of Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn. And he's putting his own spin on the Suicide Squad. He's bringing in some big, big time people. We don't even know who all those people are playing. We're going to get probably at least a, a casting announcement. We'll, we'll probably get a trailer and a whole lot of information regarding the Suicide Squad from James Gunn. I'm excited. But Brian, I, I think it's only fair that you kind of let our listeners know that you're not too much of a DC fanboy. But I do agree. Suicide Squad. I remember I was excited for it. And I left really disappointed. And I know the film had a lot of problems. And then I went back and watched the extended cut, hoping it fixed some things like Batman versus Superman did. But it just, yeah, the first one, I, I have no doubts whatsoever that James Gunn will improve the Suicide Squad. They're also doing a pa uh, panel with Matt Reeves' The Batman, Robert Pattinson's Batman movie that's coming out. So we'll get... 
probably a trailer from that. There's going to be a ton of information. If you wanted to check any of that out, you can see the schedule and stream all the panels at DC Fandome, F-A-N-D-O-M-E, on uh, Saturday, August 22nd, dcfandome.com. Brian, did you know also, fun fact, August 22nd is my birthday? It's like, it's going to be a great day for me. I know you're excited, right? I'm so excited, Mark. I can't believe it. And happy birthday to him. I don't care. Good luck. Well, anyways, in Mark and Brian's world poll news, my latest poll was finding out everyone's favorite Adam Sandler movie. I will admit, whenever I have a Sloppy Joe or some kind of sloppy sandwich, I at times will still sing his Sloppy Joe song. That still, that still holds a special place for me. In first place was Happy Gilmore. Go home! That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! Just barely beating my personal favorite, The Wedding Singer. In third place was Billy Madison, also just barely beating The Water Boy. Oh no! We suck again! Did you want to rank those four films? Uh, those four films for me, Billy Madison 1, Happy Gilmore 2, Wedding Singer 3, and Waterboy 4. But that's not to say I don't like the Waterboy. That one cracks me up, too. I think for me it goes Wedding Singer, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, Waterboy. Waterboy hasn't aged as well with me. I, I still quite enjoy it, and if you put it on, I'll watch it. But I don't think that one has aged as well with me. Brian, and your recent one was, actually, I really enjoyed your recent Mount Rushmore. It was to find out everyone's favorite Stan Lee cameo. So take it away, Brian. Let's know which one it was and what movie. Mount Rushmore of Stan Lee cameos. It was so much fun to remind myself of all the different times in which he's showed up on screen, both on the MCU and outside of it. My list of four Stan Lee cameos that kind of made the the best list is X-Men Apocalypse. Say what you will about that movie. He made an, a cameo with his wife, Joan, who he was married to for 69 years. That was a really cool cameo to see Joan show up when he gets mistaken by Tony Stark for Hugh Hefner in Iron Man. The great Hef Just how much fun he had in Thor Ragnarok getting to cut Thor's hair as the Grandmaster's barber. I really like that one. And then this, the it was more, more than a cameo, but the role he had in Mallrats, Kevin Smith's film, where he yes. talks to Brody about Trust Me, True Believer. And that calls back in Captain Marvel when she comes across Stan Lee on the subway and he's reciting his lines for the Mallrats. That's a really cool scene in Captain Marvel as well. But just the entire speech he gives in Mallrats has to make the top four for me. Yeah, I love that scene in Captain Marvel because I know Kevin Smith is a huge comic book fan. And I know he appreciated seeing his script and a reference to his movie with Stan Lee in the movie. I'm glad you brought up the Mallrats cameo. For me, it was honestly X-Men Apocalypse wouldn't have been on my list. But then I read yours and me being the hopeless romantic, I was like, OK, it's his only cameo with his wife, Joan. That's got to be in there. So I put that on mine. My first thought was honestly from the amazing Spider-Man. I loved him as the librarian with the headphones on while Lizard and Spider-Man are just ripping the place apart. And then the table that almost knocks him out. I love it so much. Iron Man with you on that one. With him being mistaken for Hugh Hefner. And then I got to go with Into the Spider-Verse. First he's in the comic book shop. 
And then he is crossing the street, steps over Miles and Peter B. Parker when they're like laying in the street. And then also you see him on the train and just other places. I just always get a kick seeing him in into the Spider-Verse. I really like what he says. And he really said it as a, as a call out to Steve Ditko, who actually passed away before Spider-Verse came out. And then just so happened uh, Spider-Verse came out just a couple weeks after Stan Lee passed away too. But when he says those nice things about how he's really going to miss him, he was really talking about Steve Ditko, who helped him create Spider-Man. I'm going to miss him. Yeah, we were friends, you know. Honorable mention for me goes to uh, Teen Titans Go! to the movies. And I love how he has a cameo. And then he goes, wait a minute, this is a DC movie? I laughed so hard, probably more than I should have, but it was good and stuff. He shows back up later saying, I'm back. I don't care if it's a DC movie. I love cameos. Not now, Stan Lee! If we're talking about honorable mentions in the animated version, um, him being Fred's dad in Big Hero 6 always cracks me up, too. <sighs> I thought about that one. That was another good one. And then, of course, like him as the DJ in Deadpool <laughs> at, a, at a club. I thought that was funny. I can't believe we didn't add him as the, the drunk veteran in Age of Ultron either. That one's funny. And then the gambler in Black Panther. There's just so many good ones. Drunk veteran in Ultron is definitely my top 10 where he just walks off going, Excelsior. I love that part every time. Now it's time to talk some Guardians of the Galaxy. Brian, I love these movies. I know you love these movies, but do they make your Marvel Cinematic Universe top five? Oh, absolutely. If if I do not call Captain America the Winter Soldier my favorite MCU film, Guardians of the Galaxy is the only other one I would ever call my absolute favorite. Guardians of the Galaxy is one or two, um, and then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Though it has my favorite Guardians musical number and my favorite Guardians scene, I don't like it as much as I do the first Guardians movie, um, but it's still definitely in my top ten, no question. I think the first Guardians, I have to really sit down and think about it, might make my top five i know it's in my top 10 the second one is probably in my top 10 if not it's easily in my top 15 but yeah i gotta think about it but love them both for in the mood to rank i guess we could always just rank the guardians so we're gonna go with let's see we got star lord gamora rocket drax groot mantis you know she she got in there she was a big part of the team in infinity war and endgame is that all the guardians you're missing one guy, and oh. Drax thought he was his father, and it's Yondu. Yondu <laughs> is absolutely a guardian of the galaxy. I thought Yondu was your father. What? We've been together this whole time. You thought Yondu was my actual blood relative? You look exactly alike. One's blue! Actually, 7th out of 7 for me, and this is not to say how much I dislike this character. I really, really like this character, Mantis, especially in infinity war if you just keep your eye on mantis in the back of the screen when they show up and rescue thor and he says all right guardians put on your mean faces and she just gets this really weird look on her face just her as a background character is so funny but mantis is seventh out of seven for him uh sixth for me three through six honestly you can move them all around how much you want to six for me i have gamora just the stuff we get from gamora especially in infinity war stands out far more than it does for me in the first two Guardians films. Fifth is going to be Yondu. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but Yondu is at the center of my favorite scene in any of the Guardians movies and in my top five scenes in the MCU altogether. Drax would be next. 
The only thing I don't like about Drax is the first act of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I feel like all he's on screen to do there is laugh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but his laugh is just so <laughs> infectious that I, I get it, but he spends most of the first act of that movie just laughing at the top of his lungs. That's the only thing that brings him down, but just how literal he is. I love Drax. Third is going to be Star-Lord, Chris Pratt's character, Peter Quill. Second for me is Groot. Now, I'm going to say something mildly controversial here. I love, love, love Baby Groot. Everybody loves Baby Groot. I prefer Adult Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Uh, everyone who owns any part of merchandising for Groot will be like, don't listen to him. Love Baby Groot. And that's my issue with Baby Groot, is he was just everywhere. And, I mean, it made the it made this entire franchise more marketable. So, I mean, I'm grateful for that. I, I don't know. I think everybody underrates how just awesome adult Groot was in <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. And then that leaves Rocket Raccoon. What's a raccoon? What's a raccoon? It's what you are, stupid. Ain't no thing like me except me. Subject 89P13. I, I may lose some friends with my ranking, but I'm going to put a disclaimer that I, in preparing for this episode, was not prepared to rank them. We had talked about it, and I honestly forgot to do it, so I didn't do my homework. So to all you kids out there listening, do your homework. You don't want to embarrass yourself on a podcast. Doing it quick. Um, Mantis is at the bottom. I think... I think she's wonderful. I love her scenes. She She's another one who has an infectious laugh. I love it. Next up will be Groot. I This breaks my heart to put Groot second to last. I do love adult Groot. I think I'm with you there that I love adult Groot. I love little toddler Groot. And then like potted plant Groot's cute as well. Teenager Groot, he is annoying like he is supposed to be. Then next up will be Drax. I agree with you. If it was just based on the first movie, like the first half of the first movie, he would he probably would have been way down on my list. But then just as things went on, Dave Bautista just really got a hold of his character. And I think in the second movie is why I just love him more. The best Drax stuff we get comes out of Infinity. It's not even in the Guardians films. It's out of Infinity War. I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? When he's fangirling over Thor in Infinity War. He is not a dude. You're a dude. This, this is a man. A handsome, muscular man. I love every minute of it. You know what? I'm going to flip. I'm going to, I'm going to, it's not going to be Groot and then Drax anymore. It'll be Groot and then Yondu. So Yondu will be third to last for me. I, I have nothing against him. I, I love the scene in the um, jewelry store where I don't know why, but I laugh at that scene so hard. Yondu, third to last, Drax, fourth to last. And then top three, Gamora is number three. I, I love how she's the mature one in there. I'm going to die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. I just appreciate her character so much. Her little scene in the beginning of volume two where... Groot waves at her, and she's in the middle of the battle, and she's like, hi. I laugh so hard at that. <laughs> Number two will be Rocket. I really, although he annoys me in the beginning of Volume 2, with just ugh, some of the smug things he says, how he's just a jerk, but then Star-Lord kind of calls him out on it. But I love his character development in Infinity War and Endgame, and I think that's why he really 
rocketed up for me. Anyone? Anyone? Oh, no, you're supposed to use a sarcastic voice. Now I look foolish. My number one will be Star-Lord. Who? Star-Lord, man. Legendary outlaw? Just because I love his music. I think younger me would have dressed up as Star-Lord for Halloween all the time. Now it's time to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. I think it's a great example when you talk about films that are perfectly cast without any weak performances. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and 2. But Guardians 1, perfectly cast. I also got to give a big shout out to Ronan, played by Lee Pace, who did Pushing Daisies. He was also in the Hobbit trilogy. I love him as Ronan. I think Ronan is also an underrated MCU villain. Yeah, I wanted to see more of Ronan and Captain Marvel. That's why I was so excited to see him redo that role. We didn't quite get the same, capture the same Ronan in Captain Marvel that we did in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, but you're right. He just plays the straight evil villain. He does such a good job in it. And then I love John C. Riley. It's a role that's not big and glamorous, and you go, wait a minute, John C. Riley, he's like, He's a movie star. He's even an Oscar nominee, but you could just tell he had so much fun with that role. The only thing I don't like about his role as Denarian Day is now we've used John C. Riley in the MCU, which may limit his ability to be cast in the MCU later on. That's the only thing I don't like about it, because when he's on that screen... Hey! It isn't Star Prince. Star Lord. Oh, sorry. Lord. I picked this guy up a while back for petty thefts. He's got a code name. <laughs> Come on, man. It's, it's an outlaw name. Let's relax, pal. It's cool to have a code name. It's not that weird. Another perfect casting in this movie for me is Karen Gillan as Nebula. And yeah. just Nebula in this movie was really difficult to kind of connect with. They've done a lot better job in the MCU as well. Um, but I just think Karen Gillan did a great job as Nebula as well. You just see how, how well she can act when you watch her in these movies and then you watch her in jumanji she's very versatile she she doesn't have to do just one thing i think we all will agree all of the guardians are perfectly cast i know dave batista when he first got it everybody was like oh wrestler i'm glad that james gunn gave him a chance and he pulled it off no question he does he pulls off like i said i talked about earlier just how he takes everything so literally you just buy into everything he says. I love that line when he's like, Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. And then Chris Pratt, Star-Lord. Every time I hear that, he was a last-minute decision. He wasn't going to get the part at first. It took some convincing. I think everyone will agree that, obviously not the actor who was supposed to get it, but Chris Pratt is the perfect Star-Lord, just with the immaturity and then at times where he needs to turn up the intensity he does it really well my favorite part about chris pratt being cast in this role is he wasn't going to do it because he was so into his character of andy dwyer on parks and rec at the time and good on mike shore and everybody else at parks and rec for allowing him to work with both they wrote a storyline for him to be left in in london and they just explain his disappearance <laughs> from the show as Andy's all skinny now. It's just so funny how they explain his entire disappearance from Parks and Rec to film this movie. It's perfect. So the only thing you did was stop drinking beer? Yeah, I lost 50 pounds in one month. How much beer were you drinking? <laughs> I know, right? Probably too much. 
Speaking with Parks and Recs in, in London really fast, there's the cameo from Peter Serafinowicz, uh, and I know I didn't pronounce that right. He plays Daenerys and Saul in Guardians, but he plays the rich guy in Parks and Rec where he goes, we own that building, and we own that <laughs> building. And his most famous line from Guardians is when he goes, what a bunch of a-holes. He's also in the show Spaced and Shaun of the Dead. So for any of you fans out there, I know I love those. One more casting thing I want to call out, Mark, is Sean Gunn is James Gunn's brother. He cast him as Craglin in this movie, and they call it kind of a favor. But if I'm willing to be the on-set rocket and dress up as a raccoon... Don't call me a raccoon! ...in a green suit, I demand a spot on the movie as well. So Sean Gunn does a great job in Craglin, far more in Guardians 2 than 1, but still. People didn't really appreciate Sean Gunn's contribution in volume one and then volume two they gave him more spotlight and more opportunity to shine and i think we're going to see more of him in volume three so i'm glad he got more spotlight zoe zaldana i know i loved her in the new star trek reboot and of course she was in avatar i i think she's the perfect gamora just every aspect of gamora she does it well whether it's those moments where she opens up her heart a little bit to the heartbreak or anytime she mentions Thanos, the acting ability in this woman is just top notch. And then let's see what else. We got some voice actors here with Vin Diesel and Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper, I love watching the behind the scenes making of, finding his Rocket voice and then actually getting into Rocket. I love every part of it. And I mean, for Bradley Cooper to be like, you know what? I'll voice this talking sassy, like arrogant raccoon. I'm not a raccoon either. I am crew. Raccoon, whatever. Good for him for not thinking he's bigger than that. And then also with Vin Diesel, you know, the guy's only got three lines. He gets to mix it up at one point with We Are Groot. I know a lot of people make big news out of him being Groot. And I, I'm like, I think he does a fine job. Still think of Iron Giant, though. Whenever I hear sometimes I'm Groot. I'm happy that Bradley Cooper is Rocket. He doesn't exactly sound like Bradley Cooper, giving me hope that Bradley Cooper can still show up as <laughs> hopefully maybe Adam Warlock or something like that in the MCU. I think that would be a whole lot of fun. Uh, Vin Diesel as Groot, it works perfectly. And he does play the voice of Baby Groot as well, for those that didn't know that. Now, obviously, it's a little bit distorted. But yeah, I mean, I don't see much of a future for Vin Diesel in the MCU, so I'm good with it. And then... We can't move on without talking about the collector, Benicio Del Toro. We'll touch on how he gets to now be part of a Disneyland attraction a little bit later. I enjoyed his over-the-top eccentric performance more than I did in a, a certain other Star Wars movie. Oh, so. I have no disagreements there, Mark. I love The Last <laughs> Jedi, but I have no disagreements there whatsoever. And then, of course, shout out to Nova Prime Oscar nominee Glenn Close. Bravo to you. And I mean, the film starts off with the Walkmen. So we already know music's going to play a huge part. And you have Peter Quill's mom in the hospital and you got and you just go, God, this movie's starting off dark. But then I love what James Gunn does with both films. You kind of get serious, but then right away he doesn't want you to feel too sad. He does something happy because then we get to fast forward after Star-Lord gets abducted. We get Star-Lord dancing. As he's on a mission to come and get your love, I think it's one of the best intros to a character in any movie. 
the come and get your love dance scene is so funny just all of it and then in avengers endgame when we see it from the outside and we just hear him <laughs> singing to himself it's so it's so perfect just that entire thing it just introduces you to it just like you said the you just watch this poor kid's mother die and then we go right into one of the funnest musical numbers from any movie that i've ever watched i mean we get to all see how star lord he's not the legend of the galaxy because every time I mean, we get it there he's like who are you some know me as star lord who you know i i still laugh at that and then of course towards the end same characters similar scene goes star lord finally fun thing right at the beginning of this movie if you watch when he gets taken by yondu after his mother passes away and then he escapes that planet with the orb and the girl Barit that's in his that's in his ship she's actually wearing the same t-shirt that 10 year old peter quill was wearing when he gets taken from planet earth at the beginning it's really funny i did not know that that's a fun fact the prison breakout is when we get to really see how the guardians of the galaxy are going to be as a team and just right away when everything goes wrong thanks to groot being a little too excited now this is important once the battery is removed, everything is going to slam into emergency mode. Once we have it, we got to move quickly. So you definitely need to get that last. Or we can just get it first and improvise. Just a lot of fun happens. Yeah, this is the introduction of my favorite running joke in, in these movies is when he tells Quill that he needs that guy's leg. And Quill transfers him forty thousand units for the for the leg when Rocket goes when Rocket goes, Oh, I just needed these two things. I didn't need the leg. What did he look like <laughs> hopping around? Just all that, all that is so funny. And then when Rocket gets that slow motion, when the gun gets tossed to him, and we get the the classic rocket. Oh yeah. Right after that, we go to the collector where, like we mentioned, Benicio del Toro is he was introduced earlier in a uh, credit scene in uh, Thor Dark World. So then we get to actually see his collection and tons of little hidden gems in that collection, including Howard the Duck. But of course, we don't find that out till later. And when I saw Howard the Duck pop up in his collection, I was super happy. Kevin Bacon plays a huge part in Star-Lord's life and the movie Footloose had a big impact on him. I, I do laugh when... Tell him about the dance off to save the universe. What dance off? It's not a. It's not a. It's not. I can footloose the movie. Exactly like footloose. Is it still the greatest movie in history? It never was. And you just saw the <laughs> sadness on Star Lord's face. I love when um, Gamora's like, oh, just like Kevin Bacon. Why did they have sticks up their butts? Who would do that? Why would they be so cruel? Me being me, I love whenever in an action movie we get a fun slow motion clip of some sort, and this one has it where. It's the slow motion suit up and Rocket <laughs> needs to adjust himself. I didn't catch it until recently, but Gamora is yawning. If you look at Star-Lord's face, epicness is about to happen. But then kind of if you look at the left side of the group, uh, you know, not as epicness is going on there. I really, really like the scene that leads into that, that slow motion Guardians coming together scene that you're talking about when they're sitting in a circle. I have a plan. You've got a plan. Yes. First of all, you're copying me from when I said I had a plan. No, I'm not. People say that all the time. It's not that unique of a thing to say. Secondly, I don't even believe you have a plan. I have part 
of a plan. What percentage? I don't know, 12%. 12%? <laughs> That's a fake laugh. It's real. Totally fake. That is the most real, authentic, hysterical laugh of my entire life because that is not a plan. I am Groot. So what is better than 11%? What the hell does that have to do with anything? Thank you, Groot. Thank you. And then I know I mentioned it earlier where James Gunn, whenever things got a little heavy and serious, he brought in some happiness. Totally forgot how the villain is doing his evil villain monologuing. And you just see him look at something and the shot goes to Star-Lord dancing at the beginning of his dance off. And Ronan is just like, what are you doing? I'm distracting you, you big turd blossom. That has been an insult of mine ever since this movie came out. So if you're ever in traffic and you cut Brian off, be ready for that. And then me being me, of course, Tyler Bates did the score for Guardians of the Galaxy volume one and two. And, I'm a big fan of it. I dig their theme. The Spore scene in Guardians Volume 1, big shout out to that. So if you're looking for some good movie music. We're going to talk more about the soundtrack later, but the the score outside of this movie is just epic. There's no other word for it, no question. Next up, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. This one opens up with Kurt Russell and a very pretty lady riding shotgun, but not just any pretty lady. It was Star-Lord's mom. It's not just any Kurt Russell either. That is the de-aging they put on that younger Kurt Russell is really impressive. I will say this about this movie. Speaking of Kurt Russell, it's another example of a perfectly cast film. This one, we get Kurt Russell and all of his glory Kurt Russell-ness. I think one of my favorite behind-the-scenes photo is him napping in a chair with his great big bushy beard. And then you had Grimora and Star-Lord, obviously Chris Pratt them playing on their cell phones <laughs> i think the caption was just like my how times have changed <laughs> so <laughs> i thought it was quite funny old joke but otherwise we got sylvester stallone being introduced in this movie and it's not just like a throwaway character he's he's got a pretty good part in it he's one of the original guardians of the galaxy and we see a little bit more of that in the post credit scene too but i don't know if we're ever going to see him reprise that role but it was really cool to have such an important role and then we also have elizabeth debicki as aisha the very gold woman i love the one scene where she's walking down the red carpet to yondu and there's a little snag in the red carpet <laughs> i love every bit of that scene and also she, I, I don't know why, but I do have a very nerdy crush on her in this movie. I don't know if it's the gold or what, but there's something nerd crush about her in this. Maybe you're just a gold digger. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, Sean Gunn, his part got bigger in it. So bravo to him. Michael Rosenbaum, he gets chance. He's that crystal ice looking character in it. Smallville fans will recognize him. My favorite new casting in, in Guardians Volume 2, though, was Chris Sullivan as Taserface. And most people will <laughs> recognize him. He's also the voice of the camel in the Hump Day Geico commercial. But he's his most commonly known role is as Toby in This Is Us. But his yeah. character is ter as Taserface and just Rocket laughing at him the entire time. Taserface! <laughs> Your name is, it's Taserface? I just keep imagining you waking up in the morning, sir, looking in the mirror, and in all seriousness saying to yourself, you know what would be a really kick-ass name? Taserface! 
That's how I hear you in my head. I love the inclusion of that character in this movie. The guy just couldn't get any respect. Even when he's trying to go out before his big death, they laugh at him for taser face. <laughs> Poor guy. So we find ourselves with Kurt Russell in the beginning, and then after that, the Guardians are on a mission to protect some batteries, uh, but they're a special kind of battery. What are they called again? Annulax batteries. Arbulary batteries. That's nothing like what I just said. Yeah, later on in the movie, too, when, when Quill calls them the Annulax batteries, Drax goes, They're called Harbulary batteries. No, they're not! Well, we get them trying to defend those batteries, and they haven't lost any of their guardianness. And, of course, we get Dancing Baby Groot. And I think right then is where everyone saw the merchandising just exploding off the screen. It took them five months to complete this scene. And the motion capture for Baby Groot's dance was actually done by James Gunn. And so that's kind of a fun thing that not everybody knows about. But it took him five months. But that when Groot falls off of that rat thing and then the camera like bumps into him and he just stands up and brushes himself off. Just this entire one shot scene is so fun to watch. The opening battle was exciting. And then, of course, after that, they're getting chased by the Sovereign. I will admit, though, a little bit later, we learn that... <laughs> Peter Quill, uh, Gamora brings up how he used to talk about David Hasselhoff. He would pretend he's his dad, and they just have a hard time with his name in that movie. When she says, yeah, he had Zardu Hasselfrau, he had the magic boat. He was, <laughs> his name was David Hasselhoff, and it was a talking car. <laughs> and if you get a chance, check out Guardians Inferno. It's a fun little disco-type song. David Hasselhoff sings it, and then each of the Guardians have cameos in it. If you have Disney+, Plus, it's part of the extras. Of course, you can find it online if you don't have Disney+. Plus. It's a, it's a brilliant song. I can't go on without talking about some of my favorite slow-motion shots from this movie. We have the one where the crew is walking from their damaged, very badly damaged ship while Rocket's fixing it up. You just see Star-Lord turn, and they're walking to Kurt Russell's ship great use of slow motion and then of course way down towards the end we have the 360 shot of the guardians and you have tyler bates epic score going on as we get the hero shot and then poor mantis Drax, you couldn't warn her when you talk about just james gunn always breaking up seriousness with comedy and just you get that epic 360 shot looking very Avengers-esque. And then that thing comes flying in and just knocks Mantis out and tracks. Mantis, look out! You really do. Because, I mean, for example, you have when Yondu's crew is Sally being ejected into space. You have Yondu watching it. That's really dark and heartbreaking. And then, of course, a little bit later, you have Yondu killing his crew, which... Could have been really dark, but then perfectly used song, and then the arrow flying around. They really do find a great way of balancing the dark with the light. That arrow scene set to the tune of Come a Little Bit Closer, that yep. is my favorite scene out of this movie. That arrow scene when he gets the overhead shot and you see the red arrow above the room and all that kind of stuff, that scene is incredible. And I love, you kind of get an overhead shot where the crew is flying up when Rocket's taking out the Ravengers in the forest. You see them like overhead lifting up when he keeps just blasting them up and down. Yeah, with the moon in the background, that's a really neat visually <laughs> scene too, yeah. We got to talk about, I think Kurt Russell's 
one of the most underrated villains in the MCU when he's telling the story of how he searched for like mates and then what happened with the offsprings that's pretty dark for a Marvel movie yeah it's it's pretty intense when when ego takes that entire heel turn in this movie Side note, if you told me that Kurt Russell was Chris Pratt's father, I would believe you. And that yeah. kind of worked really well for this movie as well. But I talked about my favorite scene being that that scene with, with Yondu's arrow. My favorite single frame shot comes when you get this heel turn from Ego and Yondu and Rocket are going down in that little mining ship. And you see the planet of Ego, but it's got the comic book look of his eyes and his nose and his mouth. That single shot is incredible to me. And that's all playing out, like you said, during around this really dark story, especially for the MCU. I also love leading up to that where Yondu and Rocket, Rocket decides to make too many jumps and you get the the different worlds that they're jumping through, which are fun little cameos, as well as how outrageous could we make their faces, including Sean Gunn's. Leads to the, one of the best Stan Lee cameos we did not talk about earlier. There's no question there. I mean, that's not the only kind of big cameo in there. Pac-Man. What kind of battle with Star-Lord would you have if you didn't have a giant Pac-Man? Later on after the battle, we get now what is one of the most talked about scenes. I didn't know uh, the certain Disney character made an appearance in this movie. Of course, I'm talking about Yondu's new nickname. <laughs> what? You look like Mary Poppins. Is he cool? Hell yeah, he's cool. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! I enjoyed it. I know everybody in the theater got a big laugh out of it. And when you go back and you watch it, it wasn't my first thought, but I totally see it now. Is he cool? It just makes me laugh. It's so funny. Oh, yeah. It also melted my heart because you just see Yondu like wanting to be cool for Star-Lord. And Star-Lord gives him that look of, yeah, he's cool. Brian, are you ready to uh, keep talking about Yondu? Uh, oh, I... man. Yeah, I'm yeah. ready. All right. So Brian and I have somewhat different opinions on, sadly, Yondu's death in this movie. I, I thought it was well handled and definitely very heartbreaking i felt like it was maybe a death that i would expect in a volume three not maybe a volume two but it still hits very hard yeah we're we differ we differ from that aspect i think what made this death so meaningful is one this entire movie's been about father and son relationships and one's been right under peter's nose that he's wanted his entire life and now he just he just lost it he may have been your father boy but he wasn't your daddy. But also the relationship that they build up between Yondu and Rocket. And when Rocket says, what kind of a pair are we? Just all that kind of stuff. But I think what made this death so meaningful outside of even all that is it didn't come in a volume three. It came at a very unexpected time. Yeah. And I just, I, but the visuals of all the Ravagers showing up and everybody hitting their, their right hand on their heart, doing the Ravager salute and all the different Ravagers showing up, and how emotional both Peter and Rocket get, and even Sylvester Stallone's character, just all all of that, and then Yondu's ashes forming that arrow, just visually, it's, it's incredible. Don't get me wrong, the ending, oh gosh, when Sean Gunn sees them saluting him for the funeral. Yeah, Craglin really makes that scene, you're right about that. Uh, so much emotion. 
But I will admit, the first time I saw it, you had that really sad ending, and you had the song, and it was starting to hit me in the feels. I'm like, oh, don't don't end it on this note. I think I was I was a little disappointed that it ended on that kind of note. But then again, we also got how many was it? Five credit scenes. So James Gunn, you know, he did his thing where. He kind of gut punches you in the feels, and then he brings you some happiness. In my opinion, this this death scene is as up there as any death scene in the MCU. This one this one kills me every single time. So it's a top three for you? Top three, no question. Maybe not top one, but it is definitely top three death scenes. I did bring it up with the credit scenes. The first one we're going to roll out with is when Sean Gunn, he now gets to uh, have the fin and... He's practicing with the flying arrow. But Drax, how did that work out for you? Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Well, Drax, it didn't really work out for him during practice time. Next up for the credit, we have the team up credit with Sylvester Stallone, Ving Reigns, even Miley Cyrus as the robot head pops up there. The original, this is a callback to the 1960s Guardians comics. Um, and like I said, I don't expect them to actually ever come back, but it's really, really cool to see. And you even got the the guy. I don't know any of these characters names. I'm not going to lie, but you even got the one that can do the thumbs up with the Doctor Strange looking gold rings and stuff. It's pretty cool. Next up, we have the Adam Warlock tease, which we still haven't been fully told that story. I'm excited for it. I, I, I do love it whenever we get an end credit scene or reference to something. And you hear all the non-Marvel people go, what is that? What does that mean? And everyone was starting to explain, oh, that's Adam Warlock. I got a kick out of that. There's a lot of interesting casting rumors about Adam Warlock. I don't even think he's going to show up in volume three. I think it's a tease for the very far future. Adam Warlock will eventually show up, though. So, I mean, I, I would say Zac Efron is possible. I would say Matthew McConaughey would have been possible 10 years ago, but I don't think yeah. anymore. But that's kind of a popular fan casting. But just the, the presence of Adam Warlock means a lot of things for the Guardians of the Galaxy. For sure. I, I would tell you fans out there, Google him. He's got a really interesting storyline. Next up for our second to last credit scene, we have we're introduced to Teenager Groot. He grows up so fast. And it's the teenager Groot that we grew to know and somewhat love in Infinity War. Oh, by the way, this is a friend of mine, Tree. I am Groot! I am Steve Rogers. But teenager Groot is, I, I think he's probably my least favorite Groot, but I, I don't hate him, but yeah. You need to put a little more respect on his name. When he reaches out and he puts Stormbreaker together, and the fact that Stormbreaker's handle is, Groot's, is Groot, I love that that Easter egg. He's probably the worst Groot, like you said, but still put a little more respect on his name when he builds that Stormbreaker for Thor. It's incredible. Groot has several defining moments where you're just like, come on, we need a big Groot moment. There it is. That's definitely it. Last but not least, the Stanley flip at the end there. He's finished with story time, but they leave him behind, Brian. Yeah, he needs he needs a ride home. But Stan Lee being the informant for the Watchers is so fun. And it really ties in the fact that all these Stan Lee cameos, they've always been the same guy when he talks about being the the FedEx delivery driver. It just really clears up any questions we may have had about his cameos over the movies. 
Any predictions, or did you hear anything when you put your ear to the ground about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Very, very little. James Gunn, that was originally going to do it, then James Gunn was fired from the project. He's now been rehired. We talked about him doing Suicide Squad earlier, so that movie's kind of been put on the back burner. It's probably not going to come out until 2023. There's a rumor that it, Rocket's going to kind of be the main character and that Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker himself, has been or will be cast as Rocket's original creator and more likely the main villain of the next movie. I hope that that's true. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, but we really don't know anything other than they'll, they're potentially filming in Atlanta in early 2021. But beyond that, who knows when it's going to come out. And I think the other thing we know is that we're all going to be there on opening night because we're going to be awesomely excited. We did mention earlier that the Guardians did appear in Infinity War where Drax fangirled over Thor. I think that's definitely one of Drax's best moments, as well as when we get invisible Drax. Brian, any highlights for you for Infinity War Guardians? When they're when they're fanning out over over Thanos or excuse me, over Thor and just it's cool we kidding, Quill, you're one sandwich away from being fat. Just all <laughs> that. It it works it works so well. And just the adventures of Pirate Angel and Rabbit. I I mean I could take a Disney Plus series about Thor and Rocket all day, every day. Brian, are you one of those who gets mad at Star Lord for possibly ruining and destroying the universe not even a little bit because you know why dr strange said we only win one and if, if star lord hadn't freaked out that's not the one that they won so everybody needs to get over star lord ruining whatever would have happened when they almost got the gauntlet off i didn't even think about it that way i agree with you yeah when i first saw it i was like come on man but as i thought about it once the emotions calmed down I didn't really get mad at him, but now that's that's a logical point. But if you go back and watch that scene and you see, you can see in Tony Stark, you can see in Iron Man's eyes, he knows exactly what Quill's going through because he did the exact same thing to Captain America and Bucky. He let his emotions get the best of him when he just found out about a murder of somebody in his family. He does the exact same thing. And then we, of course, get Rocket having to lose Groot. That, that was one of the heartbreaking I think death scenes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for me. That hurt. And then James Gunn came out and said that uh, when he says I am Groot, it translates directly to dad. Like, yeah. come on, James Gunn, give me a break here. Oh, my God. I got chills from you bringing that up. In Endgame, Rocket is going strong. He even gets a new, I like his outfit in it. And he teams up with Nebula. I love his interaction with Thor, <laughs> with Fat Thor, I guess is what we can call him. You look like melted ice cream. <laughs> in the entire presence of Rocket in this movie, it's a credit to the MCU that one of your main characters in your ultimate movie of all time and one of your main characters is a raccoon just walking around. It's incredible. Honestly, until this exact second, I thought you were Build-A-Bear. Maybe I am. I agree. And this is why it was... I almost put Rocket as my favorite because I love his character development. From where he starts off with in Guardians, and then he becomes a little bit of a jerk in Guardians Volume 2. But then you see him become like the leader he is when he's like caring for Thor. He knows Thor is hurting and broken, and he has that heart-to-heart -heart with him about what he has to lose. That just shows how mature Rocket has gotten. He, that's his whole character. Is he's pushing away the Guardians. That's why he's such a jerk at the beginning of the first one, because he's just like, he has that heart-to-heart -heart with Yondu about how that they're one and the same. 
because and then Rocket comes around and he be, and he even tells himself it's time to be the captain now when he really gives that pep talk to Thor. Just all of that is really, really cool. Rocket's character, just everything that he does is is amazing. And then we end with the Asgardians of the galaxy. Thor being in charge? No, wait, Star-Lord's in charge. And then they try to decide it over a knife fight. Wait, who is in charge? Not necessary. There shall be no knifing one another. Everybody knows who's in charge. Me. Right? Yes, you. Of course. Of course. Well, anyways, we'll we'll figure out later who's in charge, but that was a great way to send off the Guardians. Yeah, I think originally on the slate we were going to get Guardians 3 before we were going to get Thor 4, what's now known as Thor Love and Thunder. I really hope the Guardians at least make a cameo in Thor Love and Thunder, and I hope Thor makes it out so we can get a, some sort of an As Guardians of the Galaxy film. The The potential of that is just too great not to pull it off. We couldn't talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy without talking about the awesome mix, Volume 1 and 2, plus the brilliant score for 1 and 2 from Tyler Bates. I think these films have arguably the best collection of songs assembled for a movie. It charted high. It sold high. I mean, James Gunn even came out with a playlist for Meredith Quill's Complete Awesome Mix, which were songs that he thought about but just didn't make the awesome mix. And, of course, it also introduced a lot of people to what a mixtape is. Yeah, my kids still don't know what a what a tape is in general. It's pretty uh, it's pretty sad. But then when the Zune shows up at the end of Volume 2, <laughs> I just I can't wait to see the Zune in, in Volume 3. So much nostalgia went for that when I saw that. And you could tell the age of people when they kind of chuckled at it. That was great. When Peter literally loses his breath when he goes 300 songs, it's so funny. <laughs> it makes me laugh. That's how things were. But yeah, if you have a Spotify, all those playlists are on there. Check them out and definitely check out Tyler Bates' score for the Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy, of course, did first appear in the comic books. I didn't read the original ones. I read it when they were rebooted and they were a lot of fun. Of course, Star-Lord, spoiler alert-ish. No, not really. Ego wasn't his dad in the comics. So check out the comics. I think it's a very fun read if you're a comic book fan. If you have Disney+, Plus, there's an animated series for Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think perfectly captures the feel and fun vibes of the Guardians. I checked out Marvel's Rocket and Groot. They're like two-minute shorts. I'm not a big fan of the animation but i mean they're only two minutes so if you only got two minutes check it out brian and i being the big theme park fans that we are visited the guardians brian you've been to disneyland and you've seen the collector's collection if you go back to our disney parks episode you will hear that i put guardians of the galaxy mission breakout which is a retheme of the Tower of Terror. They turned it into the Collector's Museum. He captures the Guardians of the Galaxy and puts them on display so you can go to his museum to kind of see the Guardians of the Galaxy and then Rocket helps you break them out. Just the retheming of that entire attraction, everything about it works. It is so good. It's such a good attraction. Little confession, I, I'm not the biggest fan of drop rides, but I'm going to challenge myself to do the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. 
one of the coolest things that comes out of this move or out of this ride is right in the lobby there is a huge painting that's like eight by ten and it's a painting of the grandmaster from thor ragnarok jeff goldblum's character and the collector because they are brothers and they're playing a game of checkers or something and one of them's knocking it over and i was actually one of my friends repainted that for me and put a few star wars easter eggs in it but that that painting is really really cool and getting to see the grandmaster and the collector together is something we never got on screen it's really neat dang it brian you're making it so hard to say no to that ride over at epcot they'll be getting a guardians of the galaxy roller coaster which will be one of the longest fastest a whole lot of records of indoor coasters. It's looking beautiful. I know James Gunn is having a huge part of it. Tyler Bates is working on the music for that, just like he did with Mission Breakout. So I think any Guardians and Marvel nerd or Thrill fan will be pleasantly happy with that. If, you go, if you've been to Epcot anytime recently, you can see the building for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. That building is massive. It's gonna it, be a, it's gonna be an impressive roller coaster. Every time I see it, I think of that scene in Despicable Me when the one villain has the pyramid with the blue sky cover Vector. over it. Vector, thank you. Oh yeah. That's all I can think about when I see how big this ride building is. It seems almost obvious, and I'm glad someone thought of it. How about a stage show with some awesome tunes starring Star Lord and some alien dancers and the alien band? Epcot, they had it for a limited time, and it was supposed to come back, but sadly with times, it wasn't able to. Hopefully it reappears in the future, but we had a, um, what was the name of the show, Brian? It was like Guardians Awesome Mix Live or something. Awesome Mix Live, yeah, and then you get the, the alien band, and they form a band called the Star Lords. Just everything about that was so good. The live music and some of the performers they got in there are really impressive singers. I really like that show. Shout out to the performers who were Star-Lord and Gamora, they really captured those characters. And when you're trying to capture two characters that everyone knows, it's really impressive when you nail it. All right, Groot, it's time to end this part of the episode. So take it away. That's right, Groot. Thank you. He hopes you enjoyed our episode on the Guardians of the Frickin' Galaxy, only he didn't say frickin'. We thank you for listening, fellow fans. Please give us a rate or review whenever you can, wherever you can. Next week on UWF, Brian and I will be there for you. When the rain starts to pour, we'll be there for you like we've been there before. We'll be there for you because you're there for us too. That's right. Our next episode will be about the hit sitcom Friends. For those listeners with any comments or questions, drop us a line so we can reply. Brian, tell our listeners how they can message the show and stay up to date on everything UWF. You can find us on Instagram at United We Fan Podcast, or you can shoot us an email at United We Fan Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for uniting with us here on United We Fan, the podcast. Listen to us wherever you check out your podcasts. Till we unite again, fans, parting words from Drax. There are two types of beings in the universe those who dance and those who do not. One minute you think someone has a weird shaped head, the next minute just because you realize part of that head is the hat. That's why you don't like hats?